This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. I give you Super Train. Episode 403, submission number 825, Dynaman, the American parody dub. Dynaman aired as part of Nightlight on USA in 1987 for... Six episodes. But five of them, I believe, aired and one was unaired, which later went to YouTube. And then for some reason, this aired on special delivery on Nickelodeon. I guess they were cool with it. But let's be clear here. Six episodes. That is 10 less than the number of episodes of Uncle Croc's Block. The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, JJ Starbuck, and I believe all the episodes of Salvage One, am I correct? All the aired episodes of Salvage One. And, as we determined last week, Schooled Two. It's time now for Dynaman. Five good looking Japanese friends from all walks of life. Wushi, their leader, is Dino Red. Cuba, able to leap tall trees, is Dino Black. Frankie, the human outboard motor, is Dino Blue. Cowboy, the slow-thinking weapons expert, is Dino Yellow. And their main squeeze, Slow Gin, is Dino Pink. Under the guidance of this man, Dr. Ho, who, from his laboratory and daycare center, keeps the world safe from the evil antics of Gorni Tanaka and Mel Fujitsu. At one time his partners, but now his arch enemies. Who can stop them? Who can save the world? Ho, that's who. And check this out. The ultimate persuader in the relentless battle against evil. These are the adventures of Dynaman! Who will save the world? Oh, that's And here's Dr. Shinaka. At one time, he was friends Dr. Ho, and now they're enemies for some reason. And somehow, he has a Green Bay Packers pendant on his wall. How does that happen in Japan? Who knows? No, true story. There's a Green Bay Packers pennant for some reason on his wall. See, that was a very expository opening. Even if... See, you saw the Green Bay Packers jersey. I didn't even notice it. Not the Green Bay Packers jersey. I mean the pennant. You know, those oh, flags. Oh, the pennant. Yeah. I, I, why, why was I thinking of a jersey? Anyway. I don't think they had Bort Star jerseys in Tokyo. Oh, they did. You just need to know where to get them. Yeah, I know. Bootleg. 30 years ago, as we record this, Margaret Lesh at Fox took a chance 
on something that Haim Saban has been selling for a long time. And, fun fact, Stan Lee tried selling it himself. And that's when the Power Rangers franchise, of which I am wearing a t-shirt, was born. So as we celebrate this anniversary, we're looking back on a moment where a show similar to, but ever so legally distinct from Power Rangers, aired in the U.S., but was also an adaptation of the show that was based on Power Rangers. Not necessarily that version, but like a version from earlier before 92, which is what the American version was based on. We covered the history of Super Sentai briefly in the Power Rangers Bad American dubbing episode, so we'll just go over some of the bullet points. Shotaro Ishinomori has been having great success with his TV show, Common Writer, and his manga, Cyborg 009. So he decided to sort of merge the two concepts to form Sentai, which is a genre of TV show that involves three to five people in colored costumes fighting the forces of evil. In 1977, Toei suspended the Super Sentai, but was able to get it back onto television with the help of Marvel Comics and a show called Battle Fever J, which involved super soldiers from all over the world. Sort of like a Captain America, but Japanese. That sort of franchise continues to this day. The current Super Sentai on is called... If I mess this up, I do sincerely apologize, but it is the 47th series, and it is called Osama Sentai King Oger. King Oger. King Oger. But let's talk about number seven. Kagaku Sentai Dynaman. Now, this was a few years after Marvel pulled out of the project, but not so long after Stan Lee started pitching the idea to whoever will hear him. One person would be Margaret Lesh, who looked at Stan Lee and said, Stan, they're not speaking English. To which Stan the Man replied, I know, but ain't it great? I can imagine Stan saying, I know, but ain't it great? So, he decided to go one of two ways with this. He could either hire some good-looking American actors to shoot all of the out-of-costume scenes. That wouldn't be feasible until later on down the line, there is actually a pilot for what would become Power Rangers. And as soon as we find that bastard, it's going into pilot month. Mark DeCascos and Miguel Nunez Jr. are involved. Wait a minute. Did you say Miguel Nunez Jr.? Miguel Nunez Jr. 
I get to reference Juana Man again. That's terrific. Yes, but only if you find the Bioman pilot. Okay. Mike, aren't you happy that I referenced Juana Man again? No. After Stan Lee pitched Sun Vulcan, and before Haim Saban pitched Bioman, we have... Dynaman, the 1983-1984 series, which, fun fact, was the first Super Sentai team to have spandex suits, and was almost themed after baseball. What? They were almost themed to baseball. You could see it in the helmets and everything. That would have been terrific. I don't know whatever Japanese ballplayers at the time you could obviously you might have had someone reference Sadahara O or something. There really were no major league players from Japan in 87, 88. The closest I think you get is Hideo Nomo, but that would be 95. Hold on. Wasn't Cecil Fielder in Japan at this point in 87, 88? 87, I want to say no, but 88, I want to say yes. Because 86, his rookie card was uh, when he was with the Blue Jays. So the writing team of Gideon Brower and Sherry Roman get a hold of the master tapes of six episodes. And instead of getting a direct translation of the Dynaman episodes, they just throw the whole thing out and decide, let's go for the laugh. And so they did. Then you put the whole thing to a ripping 80s soundtrack and watch the magic happen. I actually have a list of the people who did the voices in the parody dub. Okay. Playing Wooshy Dina Red is Peter Alves, and he didn't just voice. Wushi. He also voiced Dr. Ho and Nigel Cochran. Oh, damn. <laughs> Dr. Ho and Nigel Cochran. This aired on Nickelodeon, people. I still, to this day, do not know how they got past it. They probably were like, these dumb kids, they don't know shit. Probably. Playing Huba, Dinah Black, is Bill Johnston. Playing Frankie, the human outboard motor, Dinah Blue. Are you guys ready for this? Mark McKinney. What? That Mark McKinney? That Mark McKinney. Kids in the Hall, Saturday Night Live, Superstore. That Mark McKinney. Wow, I didn't realize someone of note came from this. That's amazing. Well, this would be when he was uh, doing side work from, I want to say, season two of Kids in the Hall. So when did Kids in the Hall debut in Canada? I want to say 1988 either right before or as season one was airing on both CBC and HBO. Okay, Truth by Consensus Wikipedia says it premiered on the CBC October 16th of 88. So this would be after Dynaman, presumably. 
playing Cowboy, Dinah Yellow, Bruce Perry. Nowadays, a director of such fine Canadian imports as The Red Green Show, which he also wrote. And apparently was a producer of additional material for the best of SCTV. So I'm willing to guess, because he is an alumnus of the Second City Theater Group, I think all five actors on Dynaman were alumni of Second City Toronto. So I'm willing to guess that this was all dubbed in Canada. And finally, playing... <laughs> Slow jazz. What? What? <laughs> Jesus Christ, they put this on Nickelodeon. <laughs> Playing Slogan, Dinah Pink, their main squeeze. Hold on, I gotta ask you a question. What the f is a main squeeze? Four boys, one girl. You figure it out. Playing the role of Slogan, Dinah Pink. Kathleen Lasky, who you would probably remember from 49 episodes of Being Erica and 52 of Camp Lake Bottom, whatever that is. But she was in a movie called The Christmas Cure, which was sort of a spiritual successor to the two movies based on that song about the Christmas shoes starring Neil Patrick Harris. Oh my God. Wait a minute. I'm not finished yet. I'm looking at the cast here. Brooke Nevin from Animorphs was in it. And Patrick Duffy was in it. What? Patrick Duffy was in this movie. Were the residuals from Dallas and Step by Step not paying the bills one month? Apparently not. Mike, do you know about the Christmas shoes? <laughs> I don't want to know about the Christmas shoes. Uh, Mike, I'm not going to go into details, but if you Google Patton Oswalt and Christmas shoes, thank me later. I'm going to mute myself while you continue talking, and then I'll chime in after I see what the heck this is. That the Christmas Chico, shoes? That Chico has foisted upon me. This does not look good. I did not know Mike had no idea about the Christmas shoes. Oh, now I do. <laughs> continue. I'm going to watch this thing. Okay. So, Dynaman goes into battle to face the forces of evil led by... Former Dr. Ho associate, Bernie Tanaka, and his new partner, Mel Fujitsu, and their army, Nigel Cochran, Lucy, several kaiju, and foot soldiers, and I swear to God, this is what they call them, the reptiles that go... <laughs> the reptiles that go... Oh my god. And they all fight the kaiju of the day in a dinah ship that transforms into dinah head, dinah body, and dinah legs, which transform back into the dinah man robot. You know what? 
let's just go over the episodes because I happen to have all of the uh, episode descriptions thanks to nightflightplus.com where you can watch all of the episodes. Or if you can't be bothered with paying money, you can watch them all on YouTube unofficially. Oh, that's right, because they've revived Night Flight for the internet recently. They were also available on Verve before they were acquired by Crunchyroll. Episode 1, The Cy Steinberg Pilot. It's time for the pilot episode of Dynaman! Five good-looking Japanese friends from all walks of life. Wushi, their leader, is Dina Red. Puba, able to reach tall trees, is Dina Black. Frankie, the human outboard motor, is Dina Blue. Cowboy, the slow-thinking weapons expert, is Dina Yellow. And their main squeeze, Slogan, is Dina Pink. Again. What the hell is a main squeeze? Token female. I don't know. Episode 2. Rhino Man. It's basically the same plot, only with a different episode. Of Kagaku Sentai Dynaman. Okay. Episode 3. Day of the Dolphin. Flipper's Revenge. (laughs) Oh no, who knew Flipper was out to start some Episode 3 of Dynaman finds a terrifying new villain, the genetically modified evil dolphin named Mr. Flipper. Oh my god! Featuring subaquatic battle scenes, a psychedelic raid on an evil lair, and truly treacherous dolphins. Dynakids, go! Episode 4. The Lizard of Oz. After a film deal gone bust, the menacing villains of Dynaman have a plot of pure evil in this week's episode. Hold on, time out. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm looking at Mike's face. Hold on. This is CNN breaking news. (laughs) It's just fucked up, I'm guessing he's watching the Christmas shoes. (laughs) Earlier in this episode, I told Mike to Google Patton Oswalt and Christmas Shoes. He did, and now he's speechless. Okay, now... To say the very least. All right, now let's go back to episode four. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... (laughs) Episode four, The Lizard of Oz. After a film deal gone bust, the menacing villains of Dynaman have a plot of pure evil in this week's episode. The Lizard of Oz remake the film classic starring 5,000 reptiles played by the cursed citizens of Dynatown. No! Basically, Bernie Tanaka and Mel Fujitsu decide to kidnap everybody in Dynatown and convert them into their dark army. It's a whole lot more serious in the original version than it is in the dub, obviously. Episode 5 The Seven Loves of Lucky Pierre 
An evil French frog is abducting brides on their wedding day around Dinah City for an awful ceremony, but his ten-foot tongue and poison perfume are no match for the Dynamen. Slogan goes undercover as a ninja bride ready for battle and reveals the treacherous plot to save the day. Now, I watched some of the clips of this on YouTube. Oh my god. The most stereotypical episode to ever stereotype ever all the french stereotypes with the frog uh and the sixth and final episode the last adventure of spunky the wonder squid this is the very last adventure of spunky the wonder squid a maniacal flying cephalopod with a deadly nose pistol and hatred for all things dinah his lust for power literal power a.k.a. Electricity, leads to a deadly kaiju smackdown with the Dynaman team. Now, hold on. There is also a lost episode of Dynaman that's on YouTube. Just type lost episode of Dynaman. So, okay. A correction. There are six aired episodes of Dynaman and one unaired episode of Dynaman. That's basically like a clip compilation with like added footage from Canada or America, wherever the hell they shot it. So that's seven episodes, nine less episodes than Uncle Crocs Block, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, JJ Starbuck, and the number of episodes of Salvage One. It's the number of aired episodes of Salvage One, Greg. Mike would have corrected you, but he's too busy watching Christmas shoes. And if you go to Radio Free Cybertron's YouTube channel, you can see it split up into five parts for some reason. Well, when was it uploaded? It was uploaded 12 years ago. So, okay, 2011. Yeah, I can see it. 2011, there might have been 10-minute limits on some accounts back then. Okay, Mike put in the chat here. I saw Christmas shoes. Okay, Mike, what did you think? What the hell was that? <laughs> well, first off, Pat Oswald is a comedic genius. Let's just get that out of the way. What the heck? Some group wrote a song about this boy buying a pair of shoes at Christmas for his dying mother so she could look pretty and he ends up being six cents short. What the hell? And Chico, I thought the guy behind the counter that wouldn't give Peter Parker something that was two cents short was a That whole song is just cringe. And really, the song is not played. It's Patton Oswalt describing the lyrics of the song and the whole thing just doesn't make any sense in my mind and the kid pays with just pennies oh if that happened and this almost happened once when i was working at sam's club 25 years ago or more somebody paying with a whole bunch of change it's like oh no i'm not gonna sit here and count 40 dollars worth of pennies go get them rolled go to a bank they have the machines where they can count the pennies and then cut a check or give you the cash in the amount of how many pennies you have I don't get it. 
I, I seriously, oh my gosh. But thank you, Patton Oswalt. Like I said, he is an absolute blessing. He is absolutely hilarious in just about everything he does. That's like when Morshawn Lynch did that interview in the AAF with Jason Zone Fisher, where he got paid in quarters or nickels or whatever. Remember, it was that? quarters, but it was like ten thousand dollars in quarters. Yes, that's a flashback from like three or four years ago. Wow. All right, go back to Dynaman. I just wanted to give you my two cents on this Christmas shoes debacle that Patton Oswalt made into something absolutely hilarious. Well, if you think that's something, wait until the next episode where we talk about something that's worth a lot of money these days. Ha <laughs> ha! I just got it. Oh my gosh. See the spoiler without context and best of luck to you. I did find actual proof that this did air on Nickelodeon, and this may be just what we need to uh, go ahead and put a cap on this, because, again, you know what happened in 1993, and you know what I've been watching since 1993. But this is the actual bumper as it aired on Nickelodeon for Dynaman. I couldn't even fathom it airing on Nickelodeon because it aired on Night Flight, but here it is. You're watching Nickelodeon, and now back to Dynaman. Man, Man, I hope we don't get flagged by YouTube for playing four seconds of Billy Idol's Rebel Yell. Much like the show that aired before it, Dynaman was just a flash in the pan, because if you follow Super Sentai, you know every year they have to refresh the line because A, new toys to sell, and B, you gotta keep that sweet revenue up. Up until recently, Dynaman has been very difficult to get the streaming rights to because all of the 80s music in the background. However, Night Flight Plus was able to get all of the episodes on streaming with all of the music attached to it. So I don't know how, but you can watch all of the shows as they were meant to be aired. Well, that's impressive. I guess they managed to give a lot of money to Huey Lewis and Billy Idol and... Depeche Mode. Uh, Depeche Mode and uh, Brian Adams, because I remember hearing Summer of 69 in one episode. Did you say 69? Nice. If Chica didn't say it, I would have. Brian Adams was just singing about the summer of when man landed on the moon and the Mets went to the World Series. And Brian got his own sixth string. That's true, he did. Bought it at the five and dime his own damn self. That's right. I wonder, though, if that five and dime was a sponsor on Password A. Because Brian Adams, as you know, is Canadian. So is the entire cast of Dynaman, Greg. Yes. I'm sorry, they didn't have Password A back in 1969. You had to watch You Don't Say A. Tonight's special guests, Rocket Richard and Tim Horton. Man, I thought taking a hit from Stan Mikita was hard. 
You made it sound like it was from Boston. What the? I don't know what Canadian hockey players sounds like. Look, just watch like an old hockey night in Canada coach's corner with Don Cherry. Wait, I wait. would, except Don Cherry. Oh, that's right. Hashtag bunch of jerks. They're a bunch of jerks. Yeah. Well, I know an eight-year-old Wayne Gretzky used to run home every day after third grade to go watch You Don't Say A. He loved that show. Well, of course, it had Maurice Richard on it, and it had Tim Horton. Sign me up and Stan Nikita. And I'm sure you had like Boom Boom Jeffrey Owen on there. You had all the hockey stars from the day. Don't forget number four, Bobby Orr. I bet Mark Messier rushed home to watch You Don't Say A. I bet you Andre Svetnikov still has the original Masters somewhere in his posh Raleigh duplex. I remember the episode where they all got stuck on the clue Saskatchewan. How do you convey Saskatchewan in You Don't Say A? Oh, 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 me, me, me. I know, I know, I know. I I opened up a can of worms. (laughs) Okay, so it's the part of the lady's um, anatomy. It's also the name of the capital. Have you ever seen You Don't Say? Because A, I don't think you have, but also B, it's a daytime show. What is this? It's a part of the female's body. I don't know how loose the uh, regulations were in 1969, let alone in another country. Hey, I had so much fun on this date. Can you show me your Saskatchewan? You brought it on yourself. I'm just saying. I'm guessing Second City Toronto decided that six episodes, seven counting the lost episode, was just good enough for them. And it became a thing on TV. Wow! Alright, so you saved the orphans. But they're still shooting their video. What went wrong? I really thought I could count on you, Woshi, and your four good-looking young Japanese friends from all walks of life. What seems to be the problem? Is it because you need some special gadget? That's it. How about special gadget watches? Right on. We could use gadgets. And watches, too. Hot dog. All right, if you think so. I happen to have these digital watches here. Well, Why don't you take them? I got a Rolex. Hi! Now, Woshi, what time is it? Five o'clock in Tokyo, correct? So you are now Dino Red. Hi! Juba, what time is it? Ten o'clock in LA. Very good, Juba, because you are Dino Black. Oh, my boots are too tight. So, Frankie, how about you? Five o'clock yesterday in New York. I don't think so, but you are Dino Blue. Your turn, cowboy. You look good in yellow. I hate this concept. Silence! But you know about concepts, because you are kind of yellow. Oh, this is dandy. Slojin. Girls like pink. No, I hate pink. Too bad, but it's the only color I have left, so you must be kind of pink. How about Dinah Show? Hi, we are Dinah Men. Guys, for episode 404, we're going to do it right here. It's the Joey Gallo update. It's the Joey Gallo update. We're putting this at the start because he has had quite an amazing last week. 
Plus, also, we did do it last week because we sort of came to this consensus idea that Joey Gallo's not playing that much, and if he's not playing that much, we should devote less time to the matter and actually, you know, focus on what we're here for, which is so-so TV. So in the last two weeks, so we're going to go back to August 4th, and we'll go forward from there. Uh, he has had a total of six hits, believe it or not, in the last two weeks, including three home runs. But, and I don't have the ability to look this up on baseball reference or anything. Last Saturday, the 12th of August, listen to this stat line. Joey Gallo went four for four with two home runs and four RBIs. Four hits in a game. Joey Gallo, four hits in a game. That is amazing. That is great. Plus, just to show how amazing that is, the rest of the month of August, he's only had three hits. And for the entirety of the month of July, he had six hits. That's amazing right there. In one game, he had as many hits as he's had the rest of the month of August. Or more than, because he's only had three hits uh, in August thus far. What the heck, Joey Gallo? But also, and we mentioned this two weeks ago, he's striking out about half the time, and that's gotten a little bit more press. I've heard people on TV and on radio talking about it. As of right now, he has had 260 at-bats, and he has had 129 strikeouts, which is a sliver below 50% of the time. And I think that number has never been touched. I don't think anybody's ever struck out half the time. Plus, also, at the same time, as we've pointed out in the past, who the heck has a job when they strike out literally half the time? And Joey Gallo, I know, is getting guaranteed money. He's making $11 million guaranteed this year. The Joey Gallo update this week is brought to you by Indeed. Are you looking for a job where you're going to make $11 million and sucking at it? Look at Indeed.com. So there's your Joey Gallo update. One, like, outlier of a game, probably the best game in his career, and then suck, 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 suck. Hey, speaking of sucks. Let's talk about Jennifer Slept Here, episode 404. Thank you, Strong Bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. We actually had Strong Bad introduce something on this show. That's great. Submission number 020B Jennifer Slept Here Revisited, aka the one where Greg actually shows up. Jennifer Slept Here was a sitcom on the NBC broadcast network that aired from October 21st, 1983 to September 5th, 1984 for a total of 13 episodes. And that is three less episodes than Uncle Croc's Block, The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, the number of aired episodes of Salvage One, and last week's entry, episode 402, Schooled. All have 16 episodes. Isn't that magical? Oh, that is. And you know what? Let's do it live, guys. Well, not all of us, because Chico's muted. He's on the road right now. 
But let's do it live and sing along to the Jennifer Slept Here theme. Hello. You saw the most beautiful ghost in the world. And she slapped me How was that? As heard on, now that's what I call a thing on TV, volume 12. Oh my gosh. We could just do a whole album of Greg singing theme songs. We could do What a Country. We could do Jennifer Slept Here. Uh, we could do the three of us doing Silver Spoons from uh, Salvage One. Man, we might sell 10 copies of that if we're lucky. And Lucas will probably buy eight of them. Hey, Lucas. So, yeah, this is another entry in the Revisited series because, as we've sort of joked around and said, Greg wasn't here for this one, and we actually enrolled good friend of the show, Chris Lane, to chime in because I know Chris Lane is a big fan of Angelian, and Chris Lane has all the shows on DVD through questionably legal uh, resources. Questionably. Oh, questionably. Emphasis on questionably. So this show was about Jennifer, who is a ghost... Ghost, ghost, who inhabited a home occupied by a family. Jennifer actually, of all things, she made uh, a mistake by chasing an ice cream truck near her Los Angeles home in 1978. Was she that desperate for Carvel ice cream? They wouldn't have Carvel ice cream trucks in. Los Angeles? It'd be like Mr. Softy or something. Okay, well, I just wanted you to talk about uh, Fudgy the Whale or something. That's why I said Carvel. Oh. Would she be that desperate to get Cookie Puss that she'd have to leave the house to get it? She ran cross-country to get a Cookie Puss. Oh my god, Cookie Puss! Maybe it was St. Patrick's Day and it was his Irish cousin Cookie Opus. That is Opus, yes. That is canon. Cookie Puss has an Irish cousin named Cookie Opus. And that's actually mentioned in the critic. We've talked about that, I believe. Well, we talked about the critic, but I believe we mentioned Cookie Puss and Cookie Opus on the critic episode. But anyhow, so she goes running after an ice cream truck and and apparently she went banana split. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That was bad, and you should feel bad. There's probably the only time you're going to hear Chico in this episode because he's on the road, and his connection is very iffy, to say the least. So it says here six years later, but obviously 1983 is five years later. But a family moved from New York City. Oh, gosh, here we go. New York City. 
New, New York City. City. Yeah, there we go. Uh, into the home in Los Angeles. And the father of this family was a lawyer who handled everything regarding Jennifer's affairs after she died, including the house. So handled the will, handled the possessions, you know, uh, all that fun stuff. So why are they living in the house? Maybe, and I'm guessing, maybe living in the house while they are trying to sell it, possibly? I don't know. Are they trying to flip it? I don't, maybe not necessarily flipping it, but yeah, obviously selling it at some point and you know, you never know. Maybe some sort of business brought them to the West Coast and it's just easier to say, hey, we've got this house here. It's presumably paid for in some capacity and, you know, we just need to pay the insurance on it or what have you. I don't know. But oh, Hold on. Chico put in the chat. Rant. They want to go see Rent? They want to go see Rant. I want to see Rent. They're going to have to wait 13 years. I'm sorry. So Jennifer haunts this house that she used to live in. Well, haunt, I'm going to use like air quotes. She's not like a bad ghost. She's just a ghost, the, the specter of her former self. And the only person in the household who can see her, this is almost like a Stewie Griffin type of thing where only Brian can hear him. The only person that can communicate or hear Jennifer is the son, Joey. She does make herself visible in at least one episode, so it isn't a total Stewie Griffin, Brian Griffin thing. And obviously, if only Joey can hear and communicate with Jennifer, trying to sell Jennifer to the rest of the family can be a little tricky. The family doesn't believe Joey's claim about this ghost, about Jennifer. Uh, and actually, they uh, talked about how he needs help. Yeah, not really necessarily the best answer in 2023, but in 1983, ha, 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 that's comedy. And in one episode that we're going to get to in a little bit, they try exercising Jennifer's spirit and putting it in a jar and apparently releasing it out in the wild. Sort of like a, a bug or a bat that gets in your house. I don't get it, but whatever. There's a lot of problems with this show. Well, there definitely are. I was going to say the first one is the theme song, but that may be the best part of the show, especially when you sing it. So the particulars in terms of the people that are on the show, playing Jennifer Farrell, Jennifer herself, a legend of the small screen, and Jillian. And this would have been just after It's a Living. Because It's a Living would have run from 81 to 83, I believe, in its original run. I think 80 to 82. But remember, in season two, they changed the title to Making a Living. Right. Was she still there in the Making a Living era? I think so. Uh, actually, it looks like Making a Living and It's a Living... The original run was from 80 to 82, not 81 to 83. So that makes more sense. So she had sort of an off year between It's a Living slash Making a Living and Jennifer Slept Here. Playing Joey, the person who befriends 
Jennifer Farrell, is John P. Navin Jr. Not much that he's been on, unfortunately, besides uh, Jennifer Slipped here. Uh, he was on an episode of previous installment, Double Trouble. He was on two episodes of Silver Spoons, two episodes of Facts of Life, episode of Give Me a Break. National Lampoon's Vacation, he played Cousin Dale. Oh, that's right. I do remember him as Cousin Dale at Vacation. Was he the brother of uh, Jane Krasinski's character? Yes. I know it's Jane Krakowski. I think I got my John Krasinski mixed up with her. My bad. She came a long way from that cling-free head that was referenced in 30 Rock. Towards believe that both of those women outlived her, especially the old woman on the right. Playing George Elliott in this series is Brendan Maggart. He, I think we've talked about him. This is a show that we've talked about a lot as of late. Don't know if we necessarily talked about him, but he was in Brothers. Landmark Showtime show back in the mid to late 80s. 115 episodes worth playing Lou Waters. We've talked about him in the past, but not in the way that I remember. He was on an episode of O'Madeline. Playing the young friend Mark in this episode, Glenn Scarpelli. What can we say about Glenn Scarpelli besides one day at a time? Apparently that's it. One day at a time. Well, we talked about him in the 1983 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He was in that. Yeah, we did talk about him there, yes. And actually, we did talk about him previously, kind of, sort of, because he was at least on a week of the new Battle Stars. Oh, that is true. So he could punch his Hall of Fame ticket. Potentially, yeah. And I know, I've seen this online recently, he was actually on at least one episode of Fantasy. Wait, I've heard of it. I have no idea what Fantasy is. Okay, so this aired between 3 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon uh, in 82 and 83 and was replaced by our favorite series of all time, Mass Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And it was hosted by Leslie Uggams and Peter Marshall. And basically, they kind of sort of made dreams come true. It was a sort of a, uh, how would you phrase it? Like a, um, there were, re- you know, reunions and, you know, and stuff like that. So it was a modern day version of You Asked For It. Essentially, yeah. It, it was a, what's the phrase I want to use? Like a, a personal interest type of show where, they do interesting things and sometimes they splurge people with you know presents they play some games occasionally it, it was a uh, Merrill heater joint uh but the thing that i remember from it going from 40 years ago they had one of those giant money volcanoes like you saw on like diamond head game so you'd have people like going in there and like 20 seconds later like grab that dough style if you remember that episode of golden girls where now you had her meat hooks and she had to grab all the money now you're making me think of the episode of South Park, the Starvin' Marvin episode, where Kenny was trying to get those cans. But yeah, Glenn Scarpelli, best known for one day at a time. And playing Marilyn Elliott in this series is Maya Stark. Must be the uh, younger sister of Joey, because she was born in 76. Yes, and she really has not done that much 
an episode of The Greatest American Hero from 1986? Did that go into syndication after its ABC run? I don't remember that. It might have. That's weird because yeah, it ran. Didn't they what? hold on? Didn't it have a TV movie? Oh my gosh! I you're asking the wrong person. I don't know about that. Yeah, maybe they did like uh, Project Alpha, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where yeah, you know, after five years they revisit the greatest American hero. I have no idea. Other than that, maybe the best thing she's known for is she was on six episodes of the new Leave It to Beaver. Not to be confused with Still the Beaver or the original Leave it to Beaver. This is the version of Leave it to Beaver, which got promoted on Match Game Hollywood Squares the week where they had Gallagher and the Leave it to Beaver cast. And we'll repeat what we've said plenty of times. If Gallagher's smashed the watermelon on the Friday episode... In two months, we'd be celebrating the 41st season of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Just saying. Just had to smash that darn watermelon and piss off Richard Deacon. Apparently, that's just too much. Then we have, as Susan Elliott, the legendary Georgia Engel. And I say legendary. You may not know the name, but if you saw the face, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I know exactly who she is. She was Georgette Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like I said, if you saw her face, you'd be like, I know who she is. I know where she's from. Not with us anymore. We lost her four years ago, only at the age of 70. Wow, she was very young when she uh, played Georgette Baxter on Mary Tyler Moore. But, yeah, she did plenty of stuff. She had a very lengthy career. Now, those are the particulars that are throughout the entire series. There's a number of guest stars. And, actually, one of the fun things about doing the revisited uh, versions of uh, previous shows, now that we've done this for four years, give or take, we know a lot more of the celebrities. So we might have just highlighted, like, the names that we recognize. But let's say that there's, just using an example, a Terry Kaiser that snuck through the cracks last time. We'll notice Terry Kaiser, or we'll notice some of these names that we've seen two, three, four times previously. So it isn't just going to be like, oh, here's a big name, move on. We'll see some smaller names that we'll recognize. Well, Mike, I have some bad news to report. Uh oh, what? <laughs> oh, Susan. Hey, I'm sorry. I haven't done a Susan in a long time. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. Terry Kaiser was not in the guest cast for Jennifer Slutier. It was just an example. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. But just that type of caliber of actor is what I'm talking about. Somebody that we may have talked about in the past. You know, like how Earl Bowen shows up every now and then. Or let's even say John Shuck. Yeah, John Shuck wasn't in this. But again, somebody who, who may not be a big star, but still a known entity, as we like saying around here, if that makes any sense. All right, we're going to start with episode one. And episode one is obviously the pilot. With the Elliots settling into her home, the ghost of the late Jennifer Farrell appears to Joey for the first time and later talks him out of a return trip to New York City to see a girl he had a crush on before relocating to California. 
I don't know if necessarily this is the girl. This might make sense. Taking a look at her age, she would have been about 16, 15 at the time. Playing possibly that girlfriend is Alexandra Powers. Not a big name. Last thing she did was something called Ziggs back in 2001. Ziggs. Zig. I don't know if that's a movie. Z-I-G-S. Ziggs. Uh, she did uh, one episode of The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember that. She did an episode of Fantasy Island in the 1998 reboot. She did an episode of Definite Future Entry, Maximum Bob. I know that's on the list. I put that on the list. Oh, I definitely remember Maximum Bob. And 22 episodes of L.A. Law playing Jane Halliday. What did you say, Mike? I said that she was uh, on two episodes of 21 Jump Street. No, you said she was on 22 episodes of a certain show. And I have to say it. Not a Pulaski episode! And now we have to play the clip of Diana Muldar falling down the elevator shaft. Here you go. I really don't want to talk about it. you're happy greg i am <laughs> good episode two well episode two if we're counting the pilot we'll call it episode two jennifer the movie now if you remember back in episode five this was the episode that i said at the beginning of episode five that i had a big problem with let me get through and then you can air your grievances a planned biopic on her life leaves a furious Jennifer planning a sabotage. A rival actress she despised when she was alive will play her, and a key scene to be filmed at her home is altered for tawdry effect. Ooh. Okay, grieve, and then we'll talk about people who were in this episode. Okay, so it's like Jennifer like shows up and everyone's like, oh my god, this woman, she like just so happens to look like Jennifer. So, okay, let's get her while the other actress is away. And then, like, when they look over the dailies or whatever, it's like, oh my god, she's invisible. Oh, how does that happen? Like, are you people f***ing stupid? This episode had no logic whatsoever. Who wrote this sh- Vince Russo? Bro. We could probably say that about everything from Fall 83 from NBC. I mean, if you look back at what we talked about, with all due respect, Greg, Manimal. Oh, no. Manimal was quality. So, like I said, with all due respect, Greg, Manimal. (laughs) Something we're going to revisit Next month, <laughs> we're going to revisit another NBC show from 1983 next month. Boy, I wonder if you can guess what that episode is. And it's the one we haven't done a revisit on from the first four episodes. But Mike, do yeah. you know who played the movie director in this episode? Oh, we're going to get to that right now. I-, I wanted you to do your airing of your grievance, but play the movie director... If this guy isn't in our little Hall of Fame, I think it's a travesty at this point because we've talked about him plenty. We are talking about the one and only Luis Avalos. And 
gosh, what hasn't he been in? He was in Condo. He was in The Electric Company. Not that that will ever be covered on this podcast, but still a show of major relevance with Luis Avalos. Yeah. I had three wives. Well, congratulations. I'm glad to hear that. No, no I wish I had three wives. Nah, I don't. <laughs> well, I don't live in Utah, so. Hey, Utah. Marblehead Manor. E slash R. Yeah, he was a doctor on E slash R. So that right there. Mr. Smith. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of the revisited we're going to do in a month. He was on an episode of Mr. Smith. 1983 was his year between Kondo appearing on this and Mr. Smith. And I don't know if this uh, episode is on YouTube. It is not the Bobo episode, I don't think. Oh. Wait a month, we'll get back uh, to talking about Bobo. And that episode is on YouTube, and I'm sure we all have stuff to say about that. Mr. Smith finds Bobo, yeah. Plus, he was on uh, Mama's Family that first season, 1983. So, yeah, really, that was the year of Luis Avalos. No joke. Mama's Family, Condo, an episode of Simon and Simon, Jennifer Slept Here, two episodes of Benson, Mr. Smith. We were just living in Luis Avalos's world in 1983. Yeah, we didn't even realize it. And I haven't even mentioned the best credit yet. And I know we've talked about him in this. He was the general to the three wands on soap the last season where you had Joe Mantegna and Lori Faso and, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Gregory, what's his name from uh, from uh, Sanford and Son? Gregory Sierra. Yeah. The three wands. He was the general of the three wands. I just love bringing up the three wands every now and then. We don't talk about Joe Mantegna all that much. Or Lori Faso, Gregory Sierra a little bit, but we love our soap references around here. Well, soap is awesome. Soap is amazing. Doesn't get enough love. Presumably portraying the actress who played Jennifer Farrell in this movie was Linda Ferguson. Now, the actress's name in the show was Sheila Drake, played by Linda Ferguson, no major credits for her. She was on two episodes of Picket Fences and two episodes of Days of Our Lives and two episodes of Ryan's Hope. Other than that, one and done. Including, oh my gosh, since we just talked about it literally a minute or two ago, she was a hooker on a final season episode of Soap. Oh, that's great. I think I know where this is. I I'm going to double check it. But I believe this is the episode where uh, Jody, Billy Crystal's character, through therapy, and this is very, very questionable, he turned straight and had a girlfriend for that last season. And I think his first relationship with a woman was actually with this hooker, not even joking. So this may have been Jody Dallas's first female partner if i remember correctly doesn't say on imdb but i'm pretty sure that's what it was so congratulations to linda ferguson you had a brief relationship with billy crystal 
On screen, at least. Well, definitely on screen. Yeah. yeah. Well, I gotta say one thing about the movie before we move on. I guarantee you the movie about Jennifer's life was about as accurate as the blind side. Oh my gosh! No, okay, maybe not in terms of accuracy in that regard. But hey, we didn't adopt you. We were your conservators. Let me just say, the blind side was about as accurate as the mask collector in the final episode of Barry. I'm a soldier. Marine. Just getting back from a long tour in Afghanistan. I got no job. Got no family. Got no friends. I need a community. I keep having all these nightmares. All the terrible shit I saw in combat. It's really fed me up. Just want to feel human again. And I'm sick of taking orders. No orders from me. But you will get a few notes. Jean Cousineau. She should have died. Sorry, let me do it again. <clears throat> Would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Barry, that was wonderful. The passion, the intensity. You just had your first breakthrough. I did what you taught me, Mr. Cousineau. All that terrible stuff I told you, I used it, and it worked. I'm so proud of you. What you did up there today was amazing. Oh, thanks. I'm still learning. I'm Barry, by the way. Sally, Reed. Yeah, I know you are. You're like one of the best students in class. Mr. Cousineau, you'll never guess. Ryan Madison. Who are these two guys? Mr. Cousineau. We're busy, Barry. And to take a sports card twist, since we love our sports cards around here, we've talked about the Mark Jackson card with the Menendez brothers sitting courtside and how popular that was. The new one, not a new Mark Jackson card, but the new hot card is a John Morant rookie card. And not only are the two Tuies, I think that's how you say their last name. Tuies. Yeah, the Tui family. Yeah, the father and mother uh, of the Tui family are sitting in the background. You can see them clear as a bell. But also, there's two rappers. I know at least one has passed away. And this card is blowing up online because you have these rappers, at least one of whom is deceased, if not both. And then on the other side of John Morant, you have the two Tuies. Well, I remember seeing it online. It was just about the two of them. But then this week on Sports Card Nonsense, I see that it blows up because the Tuies are also in the card. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just absolutely gone insane. This is the new hotness. 
this John Morant rookie card uh, from uh, Chronicles in 2019-2020. I'm going to see what's going for on eBay really fast because it's got to be going for a crazy amount of money. Sort of like how the the Mark Jassen cards were until eBay said, nope, you can't do that. Who would have thought that John Morant would be not even the most morally corrupt person on that card? Honestly, I think John Morant might be the most morally sound person in that card. And that's saying a lot when you're saying John Morant with all his uh, issues with uh, handguns and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. All right. So I found uh, a number of listings. I'm going to do the sold. John Morant is a good player, but his cards are not worth that much, especially Chronicles. Chronicles is sort of low end, low to middle end. It may be like realistically, even when he was like really good, maybe a $10 card. It's selling for like $75. Oh my gosh. Oh, here's the two uh, rappers that uh, were on this card. Young Dolph and Key Glock. I've never heard of Key Glock and I've never heard of Young Dolph unless we're talking about Young Dolph Sweet before he played uh, the Chief on Give Me a Break. (laughs) Can you imagine Dolph Sweet as like a young man? Can you imagine Dolph Sweet sitting in the crowd at a Grizzlies game? (laughs) Yeah, given the Grizzlies didn't exist until 10 years after he died. (laughs) What about Young Dolph Lundgren? You know, I think with the writer's strike, I think we've just come up with like a whole week's worth of episodes of Wheel of Fortune before and after. Young Dolph Sweet. <laughs> Young Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> oh my gosh. People be like, everyone under the age of 50, like, what the hell does that mean? And even the people over the age of 50 are going to be like, what crevice did they pull that stuff out of? <laughs> Young Dolph Sweet. And then I could just see Pat Sajak there. Yeah, the only reason I know this guy is because we had a Wheel of Fortune episode of Give Me a Break. True. Young Dolph Sweet. Oh, my gosh. There's an image I can't get out of my mind. All right. Let's move on fast. Oh, yeah. We're still only two episodes in. We've talked enough about the Tuies, the final episode of Barry. Young Louis Dolph Apple, Sweet. Yes. Young Dolph Sweet. <laughs> Episode three. Not with my date, you don't. Oh. A new girl stands in the way of Joey and Mark and a pair of concert tickets that the girl actually wants. Well, good thing this isn't 2023 or else it'd be like all about getting Taylor Swift tickets. I'm sure we've talked about an episode like this in the past where a girl wants concert tickets and she's fighting between two boys for them. I can't put my finger on it. For some reason, I want to say it's your move or something in that vein in the mid to late 80s. But we've talked about this premise in the past, I'm pretty sure. Not saying that anybody's ripped off anybody, but it's just a commonality I'm noticing. Playing that girl who wants the concert tickets and is fighting over two men. 
character's name is Linda Morgan, played by Vivica Davis. Not really known for much of anything. Again, final credit was 2001 in Strong Medicine. And really taking a look at her career, she is that woman from that thing because I don't see her lasting more than one episode on anything, except I, I see a couple now. Uh, she played Polly Maxwell on V and V the Final Battle for a total of five episodes, two episodes of Knott's Landing, and three episodes of a show called Sweet Surrender. But everything else is one and done. Episode four. Boo! Oh, oh, you scared me. Or maybe this is Boo in 2023 slang saying, hey, you're my buddy. You're my friend. You're my... No, it's not that type of Boo. I'm sorry. I tried. The ghost of Jennifer's mother pays her daughter a visit, but she goes missing after the two have a falling out over the influence the mother had on her daughter's career. To help retrieve her mom, Jennifer agrees to assist Joey in impressing a pair of twin girls with a seance. Playing the mother, the one, the only, Debbie Reynolds. Nothing else needs to be said. And also, maybe a little bit autobiographical, because as you all know, Debbie Reynolds was the mother of Carrie Fisher. And the twin girls. Greg, I hope you're seated. We have Lori Finucci and Lisa Finucci. They are played by Jacqueline Forrest and Samantha Forrest. In other words, the twin cheerleaders from Funhouse, Jackie and Sammy. What? That's who they are. Jackie and Sammy are Jacqueline Forrest and Samantha Forrest. Oh my God, yes. So five years later, they would be working with J.D. Roth and Tiny on a Double Dare ripoff. But I'll but, admit, it's a Double Dare ripoff I loved as a kid. Oh, it's a great Double Dare ripoff. The NES okay. game, though, terrible. Oh, horrible. No. The NES game is one of the worst video games. Not just the NES game. Every version of Funhouse in a video game, whether it's DOS or NES, sucked. Major disappointment. Board game wasn't too bad. But the video games, absolutely horrible. Oh, I had the board game. It was awesome. But Chico in our chat is doing his best Yankees thumbs down guy impression with the thumbs down emoji. Why is he giving a thumbs down? To the Full House adaptation. Oh, I was going to say, if he's giving a thumbs down to Jackie and Sammy, I will drive to North Carolina and I will beat him since. Never, Mike. Never. Okay, I appreciate the clarity, but... I was unsure of where the thumbs down was going because I'm sorry. Again, Funhouse, 1988, that was my life. Oh, I love that show, primarily because we didn't get Nickelodeon on cable back in the day, so I had to do with what I had. How did you not have Nickelodeon? That is just an unfathomable. Our system, now at this time we were still living in an apartment complex. They didn't have Nickelodeon. The only time I remember getting Nickelodeon, and I don't know how they screwed this up, we had it for like about two hours one day. This is probably, again, about 87, 88-ish. And 
apparently they made the mistake and it's like, oops, we're going to go back to showing you whatever was on that channel. But no, we didn't have uh, Nickelodeon. Comedy Central we didn't get till after South Park premiered, uh, albeit that wasn't at the apartment I lived in at that point. But we did get from London, Ontario, we got the London, Ontario CBC affiliate. I know, you're jealous. The London, Ontario CBC affiliate on cable. I don't even remember what they had on the, the CBC affiliate, if there's anything actually noteworthy. Oh, no, I remember one thing. That was the uh, first time I saw a split second with Monty Hall. Because uh, I forget the, the call letters of the uh, uh, of the affiliate, Channel 10 in London. They showed Monty Hall split second. We didn't get that down here. So that was the only time I got to see split second until it showed up on uh, Family Channel reruns like six, seven years later. Cool story, bro. All right. So now that we got uh, the Jackie and Sammy out of the way, we can go to the next episode, which is Calendar Girl. Why do I feel like Neil Sedaka coming on? Calendar Girl. Yeah, Calendar Girl. Well, hey, we just mentioned him. Guess who's in this episode? Oh, I see what you're doing. I shouldn't even give it away, but it's literally the first uh, two words of the capsule. Monty Hall has a cameo in an episode that finds Joey discovering a box of Jennifer's unclaimed items, which include a nude photo she posed for early in her career, something she always regretted doing. When George finds the photo and plans to sell it at an auction of her estate, Jennifer asks Joey to retrieve it. I don't recall Monty Hall ever saying... I'll give you 50 bucks if you have a nude photo of yourself. That'd be a great quickie deal. <laughs> you, dressed as a llama, if you have a nude photo of yourself in your purse, I'm going to give you $50. I'm sorry. I think it'd just be hilarious if after he asked that, everybody in the audience has a nude picture of themselves in their wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to give you $50 for a nude picture of yourself. And everybody's like, take a look, Bonnie. It's like, Oh, crap, I gotta give away another $50. And boy, cover up, you're an ugly SOB. Oh my gosh, where did we go wrong? I think we went wrong when I talked about Monty Hall and nude pictures. I'm sorry to go on another tangent here. <laughs> oh no! Go on a tangent, please. But, thanks to TV's Ryan Vickers, I subscribed to BonusRound.ca And on BonusRound.ca they have episodes from the 1980 Canadian production of Let's Make a Deal and boy does it look like it was filmed in Canada not just does it look like but you know when you're talking about the big deal being like $4,000 Canadian oh, $4,000 oh Jesus that's horrible there's a reason why it doesn't get rerun well I think it has to do also with the rights that Let's Make a Deal was a Catalina production, which may explain for the cheapness, but also why it hasn't rerun. Because remember, Catalina was behind Pitfall, that, which we've talked about, the Alex Trebek show that he didn't get paid on, and apparently very few people got paid on. And I think that's the reason why it doesn't show up, because the ownership is a little bit murky. Maybe even the existence is a little bit murky. 
it's not something that Fremantle would have the rights to, I don't believe. All right, let's jump to episode six. One of our jars is missing. What? Who take a jar? Oh, we referred to this earlier, so we know uh, what's going to happen. After seeing their son yelling at a hat rack, George and Susan hire phony exorcist Madame Wanda to rid the house of Jennifer's ghost. To Joey's surprise and Jennifer's shock, it works. But the two must convince Wanda to restore Jennifer's power so that she can retrieve a demeaning letter Joey wrote and Susan inadvertently mailed off to his typing teacher. That sounds so terrible. I'm sorry. When I saw yelling at a hat rack, first thing I'm thinking about is Abe Simpson yelling at a cloud. Old man yells at cloud. If this was 2023, he'd be yelling at a hat rack at lids. Yelling at a hat rack, uh, specifically at a Memphis Grizzlies hat worn by John Morant, who happened to be in that trading card with young Dolph Sweet. Oh my gosh. Playing the shady exorcist Madame Wanda in this episode is Zelda Rubenstein. Not with us any longer, but oh my gosh, she is like perfect for this because she was in not just Poltergeist, but Poltergeist 2 and Poltergeist 3. Again, sort of fits the profile. And she was on 44 episodes, second reference to this, this episode of Picket Fences. Underrated series from the 90s, if you ask me. Oh, yes. That was a um, David E. Kelly joint, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Episode 7, Trading Faces. Get it? Another, well, I was say, it would be another year for Trading Places, right? No, Trading Places was 83. Oh, so it's timely. Got it. Prompted by Joey's curious question, it's like you walk through a body but stop halfway. Jennifer discovers that she has the ability to enter other people's bodies, so she uses Susan's so she can rekindle a former mortal flame. I just want to put Corky here. You won't believe what happens. Polarity ensues. Hey, we didn't use that phrase back in episode four, so we could use that here. Polarity ensues. We don't need Corky. Playing that flame is a gentleman named Henry Darrow. The name of the flame, I should tell you, is Enrique. Again, played by Henry Darrow. He's done a lot of stuff. He was on Bold and Beautiful. He was on an episode of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. Not one of the episodes we've talked about, though, sadly. No, not the episode we covered with Beans Morocco and Rip Taylor. Beans Morocco and Rip Taylor, that's great. He was on 93 episodes of Santa Barbara late in that show's run. But again, he's just been on a little bit of everything. Oh, he was on Zorro and Son. Oh, the Disney show we, we talked about from time to time. He was Zorro. He was the older Zorro. Who had a son. Who had a son. So that means we're going to talk about him eventually. He was the voice of Zorro in the new Adventures of Zorro. He's like a uh, typecast Zorro because I'm looking here. At least on three or four different series, he has played Zorro. So he may be like the definitive Zorro. 
No Antonio Banderas, though. And he was on an episode, not really an episode since this was a mystery movie. He was on one installment of Macmillan and Wife. Okay, it wasn't the episode where uh, Macmillan's uh, mom got uh, abducted. Oh, darn. Was that the episode where Macmillan said, uh-oh? Yes, the, the one that uh, when I tried recording it last week, it failed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, we can't put uh, Rock Hudson saying, uh-oh, because uh-oh. Uh, it's not good quality. Well, at least we have Susan saying it. Isn't that right, Susan? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. One other Uh-oh. character I want to mention in this episode, playing the minister, is Patrick Thomas O'Brien. The main reason I mention him is he played Mr. Dewey on both OG Saved by the Bell and the recent reboot. And we just talked about him in Camp Cucamonga. And he's the guy, if you look at him, you're like, I've seen that face. I can't put his name to a face. When you see him, you'll be like, I know who he is. Seriously, I didn't know who Patrick Thomas O'Brien was, but then I looked at the face and it's like, I know exactly where I've seen him. Or I've seen him plenty of times. Maybe not know exactly where uh, I've seen him, but definitely, again, a known entity, as it were, and a very familiar face. After these messages, we'll be right back. Put some fun back in your afternoons with real people Skip Stevenson and We've Got It Made's Tom Ballard. It's the all-new Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, weekday. Saturday, will love survive on the Yellow Rose? I want you, Chance. When Chance tracks down the only man who can save Whit from prison. It's still Whit from me. Saturday. As a service to the public, I would like to tell you what else is on when you're watching the A-Team. ABC has just our luck, followed by those not-so-happy days. Over at CBS... They got something called Mississippi. And now you know, when you're watching the A-Team, you ain't missing nothing. This is NBC News Digest. Here is Jennifer McLogan, NBC News. Good evening. The conviction of wealthy socialite Klaus Van Bulow for attempted murder of his heiress wife has been thrown out. A new trial has been ordered. An FBI undercover agent changed his story today at the John DeLorean drug trial. He said he was mistaken when he testified yesterday. He had destroyed some of his notes. Record cold has settled in the northern Rockies and Plain states after a blizzard paralyzed some areas with five feet of snow. The storm touched off 40 tornadoes, killing 16, injuring scores. In Washington, a Swedish firm has been fined $3 million for smuggling American radar parts into the Soviet Union. I'm Jennifer McLogan in New York. More news later on this NBC station. I'm Nick Clooney, a new face at KNBC, but an old hand at the news. I'll be here weeknights at 5 and 11 on News 4 LA. Let's get to know each other. Nick Clooney is news in LA. Back to the show. Episode 8, Rebel with a Cause. Thanks to Jennifer's karate moves, Joey gets the best of a school bully, which impresses the bully's acolytes enough to make him their new leader. It's a change in status and swagger that the new Joey likes. Episode 9, Risky Weekend. Joey keeps an eye on the house while the rest of the family is away, 
but a sailboat moored in the backyard crashes into the dining room to help pay for repairs. He agrees to let the repairman use the house for a bingo game. That is, until Joey and Jennifer discover that it's really an elaborate gambling operation. Playing Eddie in this episode. Not a big name, but again, one of those people who did a little bit of everything. Hasn't been with us for close to 20 years. Hamilton Camp. Where I remember Hamilton Camp from is he was... Monroe's boss early on in Too Close for Comfort, the first season or two. He, he was like a multimillionaire and, and actually had uh, like a an associate, we'll say, a, a female associate who was tall and Scandinavian. And Hamilton Camp is a very short actor, but that's where I remember him from. I remember him uh, in the first season or two of Too Close for Comfort. But he's done so much more than that. One place that we're going to talk about him. Well, we've talked about him all... Well, we didn't talk about him. I'll get to why we didn't talk about him. You'll understand why. He was on previous entry, Turn On. Now, in case you haven't noticed, in the last month, give or take, the aired episode or partially aired episode of turn on has appeared but also the unaired second episode i haven't seen the first episode but hamilton camp is on that second the unaired episode of turn on wow we may need to revisit turn on just because we have actual footage of it but also oh my gosh that is trippy I mean, that's the best word I can use to describe turn on after seeing the second episode. It is bizarre. It is goofy. I don't want to say people were under the influence of anything, but that is mind boggling how that even got on TV. We were talking about how did salvage one get on TV? How did turn on even for half an episode or one episode get on TV. I will admit I'm a fan of laughing. Love it. Watch it almost every night. See living. Go watch it. Turn on was by the same people who did laughing. You're talking about George Slatter and Ed Friendly. And they are two like diametrically opposed TV shows. Laughing is like contemporary humor just constant, you know, funny jokes hitting you uh, for the hour. But then turn on is like not funny. I mean, it's more bizarre than funny. I mean, I, that second episode, I think I laughed maybe once or twice. And there's other weird stuff we can get into, like the credits for the show air throughout the entirety of the episode. You heard what I said. The entirety of the episode. So you just had like a random moment, like 15 minutes into the show. Here's the producer. Here's the director. Here's the you know, head of lighting or whatnot. It was almost like experimental television for like a half-baked experiment. But again, we may revisit that in the future because that is a weird show. All right. Enough about Hamilton Camp. Enough about Turn On. Let's go to the next episode. 
we are now in double digits episode 10 do you take this ghost oh i wonder what this is about with engagement ring in hand jennifer's former and also deceased playboy boyfriend wants to revive the relationship they had when they were alive but joey takes a stand after learning that the suitor never shed his philandering ways how are they going to get married if they're both ghosts how does he cheat if he's a ghost, if he's still a philanderer? Yeah, how is that even possible? I don't know. I've never been dead. I don't know if ghosts can necessarily <laughs> cheat on other ghosts with other ghosts. Is he cheating on her with Marilyn Monroe's ghost? Maybe Jane Mansfield's ghost. I don't know. Playing Mr. McGovern in this episode, this is a name we've talked about in the past. Ivan Bonar. Not with us any longer, but the name rings a bell. Among other things, he was on the Colbys for 26 episodes, and that may be a potential future cover since that didn't last all that long and was kind of a flop. He was also on Finder of Lost Loves. That may have been one place we talked about him previously. He was also on an episode of Sanford, again, another previous entry, and on one episode, he played, and I remember this character for some reason, on Get Smart, he played Tolliver. So, lengthy career, hasn't been with us for almost 35 years, passed away in December of 88. That will take us to episode 11, Life with Grandfather. George's father pays a visit, but with everyone busy, Barney Elliott bides his time with his inventions one of which explodes and takes his life. It leaves the Elliots finally thinking of what they wanted to say to Barney when he was alive, especially Joey, who thinks Grandpa will be as easy to speak to as Jennifer. A little bit morbid, if you ask me. You have a death, and then Joey wants to talk to his grandfather, a la how he talks to Jennifer. Playing the Grandpa in this episode is Milo O'Shea. Not with us any longer, passed away 10 years ago. And he's another one of those people who's been in a little bit of everything. He played Friar Lawrence in the 1968 movie Romeo and Juliet. And really, in terms of television programs, he was on pretty much one episode of everything. I and mean, he's done a couple of shows where he was on multiple episodes. The longest I see for him on any one series is. In the late 60s and early 70s, he was on 21 episodes of something called Me Mammy. What? It ran for three seasons, it looks like. It looks like 68 to 71. Uh, he was the lead character of all things. He's an Irish mother's boy living in London, a high-powered executive and lives a bachelor lifestyle. However, his old-fashioned Catholic mother often puts a stop to his plans many of them involving his girlfriend. I wonder if this is a British production. I'm looking at the names in this cast, and there is absolutely nobody that I recognize. So that tells me this may be something from overseas. So yeah, probably not going to cover it, but there he is. I'm out, everybody. This is CNN Breaking News. Chico has arrived home. Hello. I'd ask if he has anything to add, but we're almost near the end. Hold on. And, and, and he participated in the first episode anyhow. Hold on. I need to ask. Chico, what was your impression of young Dolph Sweet? 
That was perhaps the worst before and after I think I've ever seen from you, and I know you can do better. But again, we came up with like a whole week of Wheel of Fortune puzzles because, you know, we, we don't cross picket lines here. We, yeah, we're, we're good, faithful union employees. But darn it, we're going to need some new material <laughs> on Wheel of Fortune this year. And young Dolph Sweet hits that sweet spot. Time out. I'm not a union employee. Well, go screw yourself then. And whose fault is that? Yeah, I'm a union employee. So, you know, go pound sand. I am not a union employee, but I do not work in a state like Greg does. Well, wait. We have supermarket unions. I don't know how it works in New York State. I've just never been in a union in my life. So, I don't know how it works. Just saying they look out for you, man. You definitely want to get in a union if possible. From experience. Now we can get to episode 12, The Tutor Who Came to Dinner. When a new tutor is hired to help Joey, Jennifer becomes jealous of her, and for good reason, as Pam with the no-stick name. Oh my gosh, I just got that. Pam with the no-stick name because of Pam the cooking spray? Yeah. Oh my god. Now you get it. That, now you see why I thought this was terrible. I haven't even finished the, the capsule here, and I'm already like putting my head in my hands. So again, Pam with the no-stick name, yuck, 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 is not so much a tutor as she is Jennifer's spiritual replacement. Playing that tutor in this episode is Gail Edwards. And Gail Edwards, she was on It's a Living with Angelian. But also she was on 18 episodes of Full House as Vicki Larson. And she was on two episodes of Fuller House playing the same character, Vicki Larson. And I feel compelled to add this because I just saw this. She was on an episode of New Love American Style. Yes. And of course, as we know, me and the G-Man determined just all right. It's perfectly acceptable. Not groundbreaking. Not horrible. It's there. And it's on videotape. But it's not on any sort of streaming services yet, as far as we know, which is a darn shame. Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to work on that. If we can get the all-new Liars Club, all their episodes on streaming, we can get the all-new Love American Style. Well, not (laughs) all-new, it's just the new Love American Style. That's right. You are just obsessed with the all-new Liars Club. Dead serious. Ever since I found out that Plex has a streaming version of Game TV from Canada. I love the new Liars Club. It's one of those things that just... I don't know why. In Mike's defense, it does have Jimmy Walker, Shannon Tweed, and that other guy. Well, there's a lot of other guys on that. But the thing uh, why I'm sort of falling in love with it, I'm revisiting it after 35 years, but also, like yesterday... Thursday the 17th as we record this I only had like a two-thirds day of school because I had to go back for open house and I went home and what did I do once I got home they aired back to back to back to back episodes of the new liars club that's how I spent my time at home yesterday watching four episodes of the new liars club 
well, just that's how it turned out to be that game TV go was showing four consecutive episodes or four episodes of, uh, of, of all new liars club in a row, but also my new morning regimen, believe it or not. And again, thank you game TV go for uh, scheduling it this way while I'm getting ready to go to work. They show back-to-back episodes of the new liars club. So after I bathe, take my shower, literally just about as I get out of the shower, there's the opening to the new liars club. And I, you know, sit down in my wheelchair. I pop on my prosthetic, get ready for the day ahead. And I'm watching John Barber and Jimmy Walker and Mark Summers and Rebecca Arthur and Allison LaPlaca just cracking wise about goofy objects. I don't know if it's on the list. If it's not, it may be on the list soon because like I said, I love that show and yeah, I'm not you know trying to become a savant on it, but I just find it very fascinating. It's not a bad show. I think the problem is going back to what we talked about, let's make a deal. It's Canadian. Little on the cheap side. Production values look perfectly fine. And they got decent celebrities. I mean, they also had some bums that nobody's ever heard of. But that may be a future cover. Just throwing that out there. And the theme song will be covered on Now That's What I Call a Thing on TV, Volume 16. You see, now I want to do the open to the all-new Liars Club. (laughs) Above the hustle and bustle of the, the busy city, Four of the, the whatever it is, four of the 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 uh, celebrity uh, 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 fibsters or what whatever it is. But it's like that's another show that's getting stuck in my head. What is it with Canadian shows the last week with their openings getting stuck in my head between Right On and now the new Liars Club? Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> no, don't blame Ryan. It's not his fault. No, I'm not blaming Ryan. I want to thank him because he introduced me to. All the episodes now of definition on bonusround.ca. Oh, good point. And also, as you mentioned, uh, the 1980 version of uh, Let's Make a Deal. Yeah, but I got to mention the later seasons of definition. I got to love that Super Nintendo-esque rendition of the Austin Powers theme. It does sound like it was made off of Super Nintendo. Hey, we still have an episode to go. Let's get that out of the way. All right, final episode. Take Jennifer, please. Seeking to prove to the family and himself that he's not crazy, and with her just moving things, not convincing them, Joey asks Jennifer for tangible proof of her presence. Jennifer obliges by asking Joey's help to find something only he would know if she told him. Proof in George's office safe, unbeknownst to George, that Jennifer never completed a will. If there's any time that we need Susan's right now, not completing a will, that's a big uh-oh. 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 Now you see, if only people had learned this like 21 years later. What was 21 years later? Terry Shivo. Oh, jeez. Now you see, I was going to say, that's one of the things that I cover in my financial literacy class is you need to have a will. If you're a celebrity and you don't have a will, you screwed up. But Terry Shivo, did you really do a Terry Shivo reference? Oh, gosh. Well, on that note, I'm going to add one celebrity, big name, playing Maloney in this episode, is Ron Masak. Did a lot of game shows back in the day. 
but you definitely remember him as Sheriff Mort Metzger on Murder, She Wrote, 41 episodes. But people of a certain age would recognize him as the stork on the Vlasic pickle commercials from back in the 80s and 90s and I think even the 70s. Not with the same war, but again, you see his face, you're like, I know I remember him from, among other things. He was a semi-regular panelist on To Tell the Truth in 1990. Uh, I think I've seen him pop up on other shows, including uh, The Crosswits. The original Crosswits, not the uh, the 80s version that really kind of sucks. But he's one of those people, you've heard his voice, you've seen his face, you've probably eaten the pickles that he's promoted. And just to bring this all full circle, because, hey, we just talked about it. He was on at least one episode of the original Liars Club in 1978. We're getting our mileage out of uh, Liars Club and the new Liars Club these last 10, 15 minutes. That's great. I don't know if I necessarily have to ask this, but what happened? I will tell you what happened. The Dukes of Hazard and Webster. And also it sucked. And also it sucked. Now, this would have been the season, the Dukes of Hazard, where they uh, had the cousins, right? Where they had Coy and Vance, 83, 84. And just so you know, Coy and Vance is a future subject. Season five was 82, 83, so. Okay, so Coy and Vance would have been the season before then. So this was actually the return of Bo and Luke Duke. Yeah, that's going to kill it when you have the original Duke boys coming back to the show. That right there does not bode well. Let's take a look at the schedule, because I'm sure that paints another picture pretty well. And again, this is the 83-84 season on NBC, and we know, oh my gosh, how bad it was. Yeah, uh, it was Friday nights, and Friday nights on CBS 8 o'clock was them good old boys, the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, Jennifer Slept Here was at 8.30, and its competition on ABC was no better and maybe even worse than the Dukes of Hazard. This would have been the first season, second season of Webster. Hold on. Let me just say it right now. Is it Alex Karras in Webster? But really, if you take a look at the schedule, this is just horrible for NBC. What it went up against on both networks. So the night started at 8 o'clock, obviously, on NBC. You had Mr. Smith. And then Jennifer Slept Here. Then Row! Manimal. And For Love and Honor. So that's your Friday night on NBC in fall of 1983. ABC, it had Benson at 8 o'clock going up against Mr. Smith. And this would have been Benson's fourth season? Because I do believe it debuted in 1980 because Benson left Soap after the second season. Fifth season. Of Benson? Yeah. Did he leave? Uh, did Benson start in 79? 79 started. He was only on Soap for one season or... Two seasons. So he was on Benson and Soap at the same time? No, he it would be 79. Oh, that's right. 70, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Soap started in 77. I thought it was 78. You're right about that. So you had Benson, which is riding high at this point uh, in its fifth season. As we said, you had Webster in its 
second first season very early on in Webster's life then at nine you had lottery oh my gosh there's another winner of a show you had manimal and lottery going against each other for second place at nine o'clock on Fridays and then Matt Houston at 10 o'clock so there's a nice ending for ABC but sorry CBS they're not losing with the Dukes as we said and Dallas and Falcon Crest it was CBS's night to lose and I'm sorry, when you've got both the other networks putting up stuff like Manimal and Jennifer Slept Here, Mr. Smith, Lottery, you got to concede the night. All of which are on the list, by the way. Well, we've covered most of them. And what we haven't covered, definitely we're going to cover in the future. But also, again, hint, 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 we're going to revisit one of them next month. I wonder which one. We talked about it plenty of times in this episode. So, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Jennifer slept here. No bueno. It was not a good show. Not being rerun anywhere, and that may be for the best. Maybe you can hit up uh, Chris Lane for his DVDs, his quasi-legal DVDs. But, hey, we finally had a chance uh, to let Greg uh, give his two cents on Jennifer slept here. And again, Jennifer slept here. Well, it was sleeping with the fishes by 1984. And that's why it was just a thing on TV. So that's going to do it for this episode. But please remember, you can always go to our website over at it was the thing on TV.com where you can listen to the prior 403 episodes that preceded this episode. We've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini shows, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes. We have revisited episodes. I mean, we've now revisited, what, five different shows, four different shows? We got everything. And remember, on social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we are at It Was A Thing on TV, except for Facebook, because you got to remember, we are there at It Was A Thing on TV podcast. Please remember to subscribe to podcasts wherever Fine podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're everywhere, it seems. And also, don't forget, we're on YouTube, again, at It Was The Thing on TV, where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit that notification bell to stay informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up next week. But before we announce what's coming next week, I have an announcement to make. We are now on Audible. I thought we'd been on Audible. I thought I signed us up for Audible a while ago. Well, I guess we're on now because I hit the uh, thing on Podbean for Audible. So, oh, okay. So we're on. Like I said, we're like everywhere. I mean, we just discovered that we're on iHeartMedia, and we've been on Google Podcasts since day one. Just about same with Apple Podcasts. So. Yeah, any place that you can get a podcast, you can find us. And if you can't find us on your preferred podcast service, you can always go to the website. But now next week, we sort of started this last week when we talked about school. It is back to school time. And actually, by the time that uh, these episodes are released, we should be really close to school having started for everybody Maybe if there's some people who wait till after Labor Day, they haven't started school. But we're going to do two episodes next week where we're going back to school. 
So what happens in one episode when you have a famous athlete on a sitcom? Well, it depends on who the athlete is. What if I told you it was number 12 on the New York Jets? Oh, then you're just screwed. I was afraid you were going to say number 12 on the New England Patriots. Oh, no, he's going to screw Greg Olson next year. But beyond that quarterback legend, what else do we have coming up next week? Here's the elevator pitch. A brainy girl and a jock are selected to be the first high schoolers to go to high school in outer space where she becomes the popular chick and he becomes the punching bag. Did one of them have a part-time job working for a salvage company that went to the moon to get moon junk? No. Now I'm disappointed. And you'll be even more disappointed when we talk about it next week right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Right, he's Mr. Smith going out of his tree. He will be an ordinary orangutan again by the end of the week. Unless Ellie can save him from going age. Then Mom spooks Jennifer when she drops in from the grave. Time to get down and boogie! But it's a seance Joey's idea of a good time on Jennifer's Left here, Friday. Be there. And...